So we are doing a series on and off at the moment called Compelled, or for the younger, younger people amongst us, hashtag compelled. The hashtag is really optional. Uh, but we are uh, asking ourselves, what would it look like? What would 2016 look like if we went public in a big way with our faith? And um, part of the way that we're trying to do that is by coming to the story of the early church in the book of Acts and immerse ourselves in their story and then say, what would it be like for their normal to become our normal? Right? So they're seeing thousands of people come to know Jesus in one day and we're saying, Lord, we want that to be normal in our midst and not what we know is normal right now. And so with all of that in mind, we're going to open up where we left off, more or less, in Acts chapter 2. And just to remind ourselves about where this bit comes, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on uh, the, the disciples and the followers of Jesus in the upper room. And the Holy Spirit has more or less propelled them out of the upper room and out into the street, where they've started telling everyone they meet about the wonders of God. And then the Apostle Peter stood up, and he said, let me explain what's going on here. And he starts a sermon. And we won't read all of it. We'll just drop in on verse, kind of the second half, verse 32 of Peter's sermon to the crowd. It's going to come up on the screen as well. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. I wonder whether there's anyone here today feeling far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and a disappointing 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amen. Okay. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Repent, be baptized, every one of you. We've said as a church that we want one of our key priorities for this year to be that we blow our cover and that we go public with our faith. And for a whole bunch of us in our church, in every site and service, being baptised will be the most amazing opportunity to share your faith. In fact, if you think about it, there are only a few occasions in your life even when you might be able to persuade people to step across the threshold of a church when they don't normally do it. Like your marriage... Death, just gloss over that one, and a baptism. What an amazing opportunity. And then even in the course of the calendar year, you've got Christmas and Easter are good times to invite people to church. And so wouldn't it be amazing if a baptism collided with Easter or Christmas 
And that's what we've decided to do. So you already know that, I'm sure. Easter Sunday, 27th of March, and the day following for the lifestyle service, we're going to be baptising a whole bunch of people in every service. It's going to be probably the biggest Sunday in terms of baptisms we've ever had. Already, people are signing up to do that. It's really, really exciting. But for the whole church family, it's an opportunity for us to think through. Who could I bring on that Sunday who would be amazed to hear just a series of stories of what Jesus has done in, in people's lives? And then who could I bring? And so we're expecting the place, you know, this place and all the other places to be absolutely rammed and then to be dunking a lot of people and getting them very wet. Um, so I want to take some time today to look at what actually is baptism. Because there's a lot of confusion, isn't there, about what is baptism and what's it for and what does it mean. Uh, David Beckham, the great prophet of our age, he, he said, he, he supposedly said, um, yeah, we're definitely going to get Brooklyn christened, he said. Um, we're just not sure into which religion yet. Yeah, you might need to think about that for a while. Uh, In the 5th century, King Ingus, I didn't even know there was a King Ingus, but he asked St. Patrick to baptise him. And St. Patrick supposedly had this big crook thing with a pointy spike on the bottom, which he would normally use if he was preaching somewhere. He would kind of stab it into the ground and it would just stay there and he would preach near it, I suppose. Anyway, as he was just beginning to prepare this guy, this king, for baptism, he took the, the spike and he accidentally skewered the king's foot with it. And the king didn't say anything. And, no, and nobody noticed. And, and um, so he went down to the waters of baptism and then he came up out of the water and he was just standing there on the, on the I guess, the riverbank or something, dripping wet and, and also just blood pouring from his foot. And at that point, supposedly, St. Patrick noticed that he had this blood, and he said, why, why didn't you say anything? And, and supposedly the king just said, oh, I just thought it was part of the ceremony. Um, now, uh, yeah. So there is, a bit, there is a lot of confusion. So the question is, what was baptism? What is baptism uh, according to the teaching of the New Testament? Most ancient cultures around the world, uh, in fact, possibly all ancient cultures around the world, had some kind of ritual or ceremonial washing. So I'm thinking of moments like the bridegroom, the night before his wedding, has a kind of a ceremonial bath in order to prepare himself for the coming nuptials, whatever that word means. Or um, people ceremonially washing their hands in advance of eating a particular meal or a particular food. But historically, the origins of Christian baptism most likely find their, uh, are found in the Jewish Old Testament, so the Old Testament law. And in the Old Testament law, there are a whole bunch of moments where the people of God were expected to have a kind of a ritual washing. So, for example, Aaron in Exodus 29, Exodus 29 Aaron and his sons... This is the moment where they're being established as the priesthood, as the priests of the people of God. And so they had to stand at the entrance to the newly built tabernacle and they had to uh, bathe themselves in front of the whole of the nation of Israel, which must have been a bit awkward and a bit embarrassing. Oh, come on, everyone, lighten up. Anyway, uh, so that's one one moment. uh, Leviticus chapter 14, uh, the law says, people who believe that they were healed of infectious skin diseases were to, um, 
wash all of their clothes, shave off all of their hair, and then bathe in water to cleanse themselves. It was a kind of, and, and you could go right the way throughout the Old Testament law and find these moments where people are ceremonially washing themselves. And it seems like what was going on was, throughout the story of the Old Testament, and then in between the Testament, so in, in the period of time when the Old Testament has been written, but the New Testament hasn't started yet, the Jewish people were... Um, uh, uh, taking this ceremonial washing thing one step further and saying, if I want to be clean before God, if I want to really receive the forgiveness of my sins, then I'm going to be dunked in a whole load of water. And actually, archaeologists have found a bunch of purpose-built baths specifically for the purposes of dunking people in water. However, the first ever mention that we know of in literature of um, Uh, the people of God being baptized is actually in the New Testament and it's in Mark's gospel where John the Baptist is baptizing people in the river Jordan. It says Mark chapter 1 verse 4. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him there confessing their sins. They were baptized in the Jordan River. So here is this guy standing out in the wilderness by the river and saying, get yourselves ready for God. And there is a forgiveness that you can receive from God. And the way that they kind of demonstrated in an outward way that they wanted to receive the forgiveness and the cleansing of God on the inside was that they would allow him to duck them under the water, which when I was at school was considered bullying. But Okay, you're di- like, I know I'm not a very funny person, but, you know, anyway, so... So throughout the New Testament, this is an outward symbol of something that's happening deep on the inside. God has made you clean. It's important to notice as well, too, that in the New Testament, um, baptism always involves lots of water. So many of us may have uh, been brought up or grown up in a Christian tradition where there's a little sprinkling of water on a baby's forehead or the marking of the sign of the cross or... um, Something like that. Well, actually, that's, that never features in the New Testament as a form of baptism. In the New Testament, the only kind of baptism there is, is people getting fully, their whole body, dunked in the water. So, for example, in John 3, when John the Baptist is uh, preparing to baptize people, it says that he chose a particular stretch of the river that was deep enough to baptize people. And when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, it, said, it says that he came up out of the water. So it's very difficult to come up out of a puddle, isn't it? Uh, He's obviously coming up out of a deep amount of water. When Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 by the side of the road, um, it's not a puddle because it says they both went down into the water and they both came up out of the water, which is a good thing. It would be awkward if one of them didn't. So, So... Okay, I'm going to keep trying. Um, The Greek word for baptize is a word that was in regular usage at that time uh, to mean like fully immersed. So, for example, if you were if you had a piece of cloth and you wanted to change its colour, you would baptize the cloth into a great big bucket of dye, and and you would change its colour. Or if you wanted to. take some wine with a cup out of a bowl, then you would baptise the cup into the bowl to get some wine out, to drink it. 
And so uh, one commentator said this, it's a common word in Greek that's used where in English we would use drench, dunk, dip, duck, douse, deluge, or soak, sink, swamp, steep, or saturate. So there you go, I'm quite relieved to say all of those without saying a swear word by mistake. So... (laughs) So John the Baptist waded into the River Jordan and he invited people to come and he would dunk them under the water. And then Jesus and his disciples did the same thing. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples, after I've gone, I want you to carry on baptizing people in water. So what does baptism mean then? Like that, that's what the New Testament says it is, but what does it mean? The, first of all, baptism speaks of a bath. I've been rubbish at literally every sport I've ever tried. Um, I used to think I was good at tennis until I literally fell over the other day and really hurt myself. Um, But uh, when I was a teenager, the thing that I really loved doing was playing rugby, right up until the point where people started properly hurting each other. But before that point, when it was just running around and getting muddy, I really enjoyed it. And uh, the, the goal was to be literally head to foot in mud. The only problem was that the teachers demanded that you had a communal shower at the end of the rugby. And that was just so unpleasant. And so we developed this technique whereby we would go into the showers with our shorts on and we would get as close as possible to the water coming down to be able to wash our faces and our hands. And then we would just put all our clothes back on. And then you would drive home in the car and... Um, your whole body was sort of cracking and peeling, you know, like your movement was restricted by the mud and then you'd get into the bath and the, at home when there was nobody else present and, and then you, the goal was to see whether you could get a full centimetre of muddy scum on the top of the bath and block up the plug hole on the way down. The point is, and you may be wondering what the point is, the, po- the point is that even as a teenager, I knew that I could wash my body to within an inch of my life but I couldn't wash my soul that there is a darkness and a dirt on the inside that no bath will ever touch. And then the wonderful thing about following Jesus is that he can wash the inside. You might remember that old advert for flash bathroom that, that says, it even cleans the most stubborn stains. There actually is only one way of being cleansed on the inside. And it's to follow Jesus. And as we're baptised, we're saying to Jesus, please will you do that work? It's recognising Jesus has cleaned me and he will clean me. Uh, Ananias says to Saul of Tarsus, and now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptised, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So we're saying, make me clean. Secondly, baptism is also a burial. It actually didn't take very long in the early church for them to recognize that actually this action of dunking someone down in the water and then bringing them up looks a little bit like putting somebody in a grave and then bringing them out again. And so very quickly, theologically, they developed this idea that by going down into the waters of baptism, I'm aligning my life with the life of Jesus, that the death of Jesus, therefore with my death, and his resurrection with my resurrection. And so in Colossians 2, verse 12, Paul says this, You were buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. 
So baptism, therefore, is the way that we draw a line under our old lives and we put it to death and we bury it. And then we begin a new life with Christ. I don't know, many of you will be too young, embarrassingly, to remember the story of John and Anne Darwin. John and, da- John and Anne Darwin were the canoe two from Seton Carew. I don't know whether anyone remembers. He was a, a former maths teacher turned prison officer, and she was a, a doctor's receptionist. And um, they had a sideline in bedsits. They had a whole bunch of bedsits, and they accumulated these massive amounts of debt And clearly it was very stressful. And so one day, John Darwin paddles out in his canoe out into the sea, just near Hartlepool, and disappears. And the next day, his canoe washed up on the beach. And so he was shortly after that, he was declared dead, and the insurance money paid out. And turns out, of course, he wasn't really dead. Um, Interestingly, the the sea apparently was as flat as a mill pond on the day that his his, uh, boat capsized. But anyway, so... um, he goes off to South America, and then five years later, he thinks, I, I just need to come home. And so he walks into a police station, and he says, oh, I can't remember who I am, and I, uh, pretends he's got amnesia, and he was put in prison, and his wife was put in prison. Tragic story, bizarre story. But the reason I'm telling you is, is this, that isn't there something about all of us, uh, uh, don't we have sympathy with him for wanting to be able to draw a line and start again? And that's what we do in baptism. We say, Lord, I want to draw a line. I want to put to death my old life. And I want to start a new life with Christ. The truth is, of course, that the New Testament talks a lot about how becoming a Christian is really a death. We don't really say that very often, do we? We don't often say, you know, become a Christian and die. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a very attractive thing, but that is ultimately what's happening. We are dying with Christ in order that we would live with Christ. So Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Or Colossians 2.20, he says, you died with Christ. And so as we come to faith and repentance and become a Christian, in that moment, we die. And in baptism, we bury the body. People often ask, can I be a Christian without being baptized? And in one sense, the answer is yes. But it has to be a yes, but. If somebody dies, you bury them. And if you're a Christian, you've died. And in baptism, you bury the body. So if you don't get baptized, you haven't done what we normally do with their bodies. You haven't buried it. Okay. Uh, Lastly, baptism speaks of a bath, it's a burial, and finally, it's a badge of belonging. Look at all those bees. I'm so pleased with myself. So, in the Old Testament, what was the mark of membership of the people of God? It was circumcision. Now, we are all, very, especially the blokes among us, we are very glad that we don't have to do that anymore. You know, I did do one summer as a student cutting carpet tiles with a very sharp knife, but I'm not sure that qualifies me for, you know, uh, circumcision. So, baptism is the new sign for the new people of God that we belong. I've got three small children, my wife and I, and, and we've loved every stage of parenting. We loved the, um, 
utter dependent stage. You know, I remember when we were living down south and we were praying about whether or not we should move to Scotland 11, 12 years ago. We used to um, go and pray in our friend's house and we would take our little baby and we would leave him on the middle of their, in the middle of their double bed and we'd come back two hours later and he was still exactly where you left him. Uh, that was brilliant. And, and then um, after that comes the toddling stage when they just, you know, you're holding their hand and they're kind of toddling around and they're looking in your eyes and they're, they're like, this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened in my life. And, and then after that comes the holding hands and swinging them phase, which you can only do for so long before they just get really heavy and you think my arms might actually stretch if I do this any longer. And then comes the season we're in now, which is the uh, not so much I want to hold your hand stage, but the uh, I'd rather not ever be seen dead with you stage. And at that moment, you know, my wife and I will walk along holding hands and our children will walk at least three metres behind us, dra- you know, iPod in, dragging their feet, like, you know, I am not anything to do with that person there. You are so embarrassing. In baptism, we say, I know the church isn't perfect, but these are my people. I love them. I belong with them. This is my family. In baptism, we say we belong. So Colossians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. Baptism is a badge of belonging to the church. We're, we're, we're making a public declaration to say, these are my people. The second thing is we're also saying, not only do I belong to these people, but I belong to Christ. And so we're saying, uh, by being baptized, I'm aligning myself, I'm putting myself into Christ and under his lordship. He's now the king of my life. It's a badge of belonging. So why would I get baptised? I mean, you know, this all sounds very nice. It sounds a little bit weird. But why would I do it? Well, firstly, I would do it because it's normal for Christians. It's just what Christians have always done. Throughout the New Testament, Whenever you see somebody surrendering their life to Jesus, they're baptised. So, uh, just in that passage we read earlier, 3,000 people responded to the message, they repented, and they were all baptised. There was nobody who wasn't. They were all baptised. Later on in the book of Acts, there's a lady called Lydia who's selling purple cloth. And along comes the Apostle Paul. He tells her all about Jesus. She becomes a Christian, and then she and her whole family are baptised. The Philippian jailer is baptised. Crispus, the synagogue leader, is baptised. Even Simon, the sorcerer, is baptised. In fact, you'll be hard-pressed to find anyone in the New Testament who isn't baptised when they become a Christian, except maybe the thief who's crucified on the other side of Jesus. And he probably has an excuse. He's sort of otherwise engaged. But everyone else becomes, everyone becomes a Christian and they're baptised. It's just normal. It's what happened. They believed, they repented, they were baptised. And the truth is that all of the writers of the New Testament, you can, it's clear that they're assuming the people they're writing to who are Christians, they're just assuming they've all been baptised. So they th- say things like, well, of course, we've all been baptised into Christ. They just mean, well, we've all been baptised. Maybe that's because, secondly, Jesus commanded it. Think about the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And so his command was, I want you to baptize one another. That's how this is going to work. And so to be baptized is to walk in obedience to the command of God. And the flip side of that, of course, is also true. To not be baptized is to stand in a position of disobedience to the call of God. It's an uncomfortable truth, but I honestly think it is true. Jesus commanded it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's what, they, that's what Peter said to the um, people who were in the crowd who'd become Christians. Um, thirdly, it's a powerful witness. It is a very odd thing to do, you know, to, to go into a pool and for there to be another adult in the pool and who you're not married to and, and then to dunk you down in the water, you know, white things go see-through, floaty dresses float, um, you know, to, be, to allow someone to dunk you under the water was considered bullying when you were at school. It is a slightly weird thing to do. Why would you do it? I was walking along the side of our uh, church building uh, on the other side of town recently and I had a whole load of stuff under my arms and then I saw someone I knew and I waved at them and as I was waving, I tripped over and my stuff just went flying, laptop, papers, wallet, bag, everything just went flying and um, I did in that moment what any of us would do in that situation. I styled it out. You know, I just made it look like, oh, yeah, that's what I meant to do. You know, like, oh, oh there, there, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not just waving with my hand. I'm waving with all of my possessions. That's, that's just what I like to do. I'm just a friendly guy. Um, we are very concerned in our culture about our dignity and our self-respect and how other people see us. And so when we choose to do something as unusual as baptism, we're communicating to people what? We're communicating, my relationship with Jesus is much more important than my dignity or my self-respect. The reason I know it's such a powerful witness is because my twin brother became a Christian at my baptism. So I've been a Christian for, I don't know, a year, something like that, and, and I was desperate for him to become a Christian. I tried everything. I tried, you know, um, beating him with a Bible. I tried, you know, duffing his face in. I'd even tried being nice to him. And, and he still wouldn't become a Christian. And, and then he came to my baptism. And on the weekend of my baptism, he, 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 it just all clicked into place. And he surrendered his life to Jesus. And he's still walking with Jesus. It's a powerful thing. So why would any of us who have not been baptised not want to take that opportunity to invite all of our friends, family, work colleagues, people who sit next to us in the lecture hall, uh, uh, and just invite them all and just tell them about Jesus and, and demonstrate the, the centrality of Jesus in your life by being baptised. Finally then, uh, it's always a dangerous word, finally, isn't it? But uh, just a few frequently asked questions. One of the main questions we're often asked is, I was christened as a child, so what do I do with that? Do I still need to be baptised? And that's a big question for people. Uh, I've got some very, very dear friends who uh, grew up always knowing and walking with the Lord um, in, in an Anglican context where... They were christened as babies, and then later on as teenagers, they were confirmed. I think in the Church of Scotland, it's called a profession of faith, but the same kind of idea, you know, love Jesus. And, and for them, they would say, well, actually, I have been baptized. That, that is my baptism. That sequence of events, I consider before God to be my baptism. 
for, for myself, I was uh, baptized as a kid and then confirmed into the Anglican Church before I ever knew Jesus. It was just what everyone else was doing. And so clearly, from my point of view, that sequence of events was not my baptism. I wanted to be baptized when I had become a Christian. And so what we, the line that we've chosen to take in our church is this. We'll leave it to your conscience. So we'll just say, look, we, we would encourage you to pray about it and to search the scriptures and to speak to other people who know and love you, probably in your small group context. And then after that, if you've come to a place where you say, actually, I think the sequence of events of being baptized as a baby and then confirming that faith as a, a teenager or as an adult, that I consider that to be my baptism before God with all peace, then, then we are totally happy with that. If, however, you were christened or baptized as a, 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 an infant and you're now saying, actually, I want to be baptized as an adult, it would be our joy and our privilege to be able to do that. So we'll leave that to you. Secondly, some people will just say, but isn't it a bit too late? You know, like, I became a Christian 50 years ago, and at that point, I never thought about being baptized, and now I've been a Christian all this time. Everyone knows I'm a Christian. You know, I'm the pastor or whatever. And, but isn't it a bit late now to get baptized? To which I say, the appropriate thing to do with a dead body, whenever you find it, is to bury it. You know, sometimes, mostly you bury a dead body straight away or within a few days. But sometimes on the battlefield or something like that, you come across a dead body. The right, the right thing to do is still to bury that body. And so we would just encourage you to really think through, even if you've been a Christian for many years, uh, to, to consider getting baptised. And the last one is, people always ask this, but do I have to share my story from the front of church? You know, that looks absolutely terrifying uh, and I, I really don't want to have to do that. And the, the answer to that is, yes, you do have to. So um, there, there's, there is a more extended answer than that. They're actually, you, you know, like at a wedding, the bridegroom stands up and he says, on behalf of my wife and I, that's all anyone wants to hear, right? On behalf of my wife and I, everyone cheers and claps. And then after that, he says, thank you to the mothers for making a cake and all that stuff and that's kind of you know but it's the easiest speech you'll ever make in your life because everyone is just there because they love you and they want to hear the you know you share your stuff and they love it and so no one's going to be like oh i noticed that you use the word because you know at the start of a sentence that's not very good grammar is it no one's going to say that they just want you to succeed and the same is true of baptism you know we're all here we're gathering together to hear from you because we love you and we're excited to hear what you've got to say and so actually it is the second easiest speech you'll ever make in your life we go out of our way to make it as easy as possible so we would often meet with you in advance to help you to think about how you're going to share your story and to help you make notes for some people they'll write a full script in fact that probably is the best way to go um, some people use bullet points, that's equally valid. Some people choose to not have notes, that's a bad idea. I mean, it's up to you, but it's just a bad idea. Uh, um, some people would prefer an interview, and we can ha quite happily just ask you some questions, and you can just share the answers to those questions. Um, for some people, and this is a kind of last resort, we would video record your um, testimony in advance, maybe the week before, and then we could just play it on the screen and you could sit there just dying of embarrassment on the front row. But w I think it would be a real shame if you didn't share your story. 
but we will go out of our way to make it as easy as possible. It doesn't need to be a great long thing. In fact, if there are 10 or 12 people or more wanting to get baptised, then it mustn't be long, otherwise we're going to be here all night. So, with all of that in mind, if you'd like to get baptised, and this is your church family, and you've never been baptised before, and you're certain that you've become a Christian at some point in your life, then we would love to hear from you. And we just have four weeks now to talk about that and to think about that. So if you know as a result of even just um, hearing about it today, I want to get baptized, don't hesitate. Speak to Scott or Sarah today. Why don't we just stand?